0: And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff
1: Waldman. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is the show where we look at the manufacturing sector through both a telescope. At a microscope, we look at the big headlines of the day, and of course they're dominating uh, right now. But we also look underneath at the structural changes that are rocking the world of manufacturing uh, on a weekly basis. New technologies, new global arrangements, new trade arrangements, new economic thinking, and our show is here to help you understand how this is going to lead to a new day in the manufacturing world. In a world of uncertainty like nobody um, who is listening to this podcast has ever seen before, it is absolutely great to welcome an old friend back to the show to the show. Listeners of Manufacturing Matters will remember that Dr. Chad Motray, the influential chief economist of the National Association for Manufacturers, was the uh, the guest on the pilot for this show at the beginning of 2019. He's also greatly familiar to other listeners of other shows on Manufacturing Talk Radio. He serves at the, as the NAM's economic forecaster and spokesperson on economic issues. And in a, in a world of complete tumult, he's exactly the person who we need to talk to today to get some sense of where things might be going. He frequently comments on current economic conditions for manufacturers through many professional presentations and media interviews and has appeared on various news outlets, including CNBC. In addition, he is the director of the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, which is the workforce arm of the NAM, where he leads efforts to produce thought leadership, data, and analysis of relevance to business leaders in the manufacturing sector. Prior to joining the National Association of Manufacturers, Chad was the dean of the School of Business Administration at Robert Morris College in Chicago, Illinois. That's now part of Roosevelt University. He was there from 1997 to 2002. And he served as the chief economist and director of economic research for the Office of Advocacy at the United States Small Business Administration, where I actually uh, got to know him, from 2002 to 2010. Dr. Motre is a former board member of NABE, the National Association for Business Economics. He is also the former president and chairman of uh, an organization that has mattered a great deal to my professional life, the National Economist Club. He holds a Ph.D. in economics from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and a bachelor's and master's degree in economics from Eastern Illinois University. He is a certified business economist where he was uh, for uh, NABE where he was part of the initial graduating class in 2015. We're going to talk with Chad today about the NAM's latest outlook survey because that word is the buzzword, the outlook. Chad, first of all, welcome back to the show. It's hard to believe I was on the
0: first show, and, and the show's been such a success. Uh, that's all going to
1: you, not to my piloting, obviously, of that first episode. So congrats on a great show. Thank you so much. Let's, let's start with sort of you know, orienting our listeners. For those listeners who may be less than familiar with the NAM Outlook survey, could you, you know, offer a brief description of what it is, how it's conducted, and how long it's been in existence.
0: So, yeah, the NAM has been doing this survey since the fourth quarter of um, 1997, so um, about 22 years or more. Uh, it, it's a very simple survey. Um, I, I obviously inherited it in 2011 when I joined the NAM, uh, but basically you have to pick a bucket, right? You're either positive or you're negative, right? There's no neutral. It's just something that if I were doing it, I might have added that that option, but um you're either somewhat are very positive or you're either somewhat are very negative. Uh, and so over the last 22 years, um, we've seen ups and downs in the overall business cycle. Uh, certainly over the last two years, we've seen an all-time high, and in and, and the latest number we have, the worst number since the, the Great Recession. So certainly I think it tracks pretty well with a lot of other economic indicators. Ask a lot of other questions that you would expect on a manufacturing survey in terms of, like, expected growth rates, et cetera. Uh, and what you know, I, I like about it is I also can get topical, right? We have special questions each time, which allows mm-hmm. us to kind of drill a little, a little bit further. Um, uh, just a, a little background on the NAM, because because uh, you asked about who gets the survey and who fills it out. Uh, the National Association of Manufacturers is 125 years old this year, um, so we're celebrating our birthday. Uh, founded in 1895 in Cincinnati, uh, and we've grown to 14,000 members uh, nationwide. Uh, and small, medium, and large, about 90% of our members are small and medium size. Uh We also have about 250 uh, vertical associations or kind of, you know, uh, aluminum association, uh, you know, a lot of other various uh, segments of the economy. And all 50 states have a manufacturing association attached to us. Um, and so, anyway, that's who gets our survey. Uh, this last survey had uh, – More than 500 people
1: respond to it. So uh, anyway, so that's a quick snapshot
0: of both the NAM as well as the survey.
1: Before we discuss the latest survey results, I'd I'd like to start in a general sense. I want to get your take on the short-term path of the U.S. economy. Recognizing the massive uncertainties that are rocking our our world every day, do you think that the second half of 2020, which we're in now – could mark the beginning of some kind of recovery yeah I've,
0: I've been on board for a while with what with a check mark or a swoosh or whatever word you want to use to describe uh the overall recovery obviously the numbers we're going to see for the second quarter are going to be jaw-droppingly bad right anywhere from minus 30 percent uh gdp to i've seen numbers as large as you'll see uh 40 percent or more than that uh for, for the overall decline um but we're also going to see equally, well not equally, but jaw-dropping numbers on the way up as well, right? So the, my forecast for growth in the third quarter is, is plus 16%, right? Um, okay. You can do the math. So if we're going down 32 and we're up 16, which we're still not equal, right? So I do think the, the rise out of the, this particular recession uh, it d- definitely will be kind of, it's not a V, but it will certainly will be moving up pretty rapidly. But gonna, you're going to continue to see a lot of, uh, of pain here, right? Uh, the unemployment numbers we're going to be getting more soon. Twenty uh, percent unemployment probably is what we're going to be seeing, if not uh, in May, certainly uh, numbers right after that. But I still have a forecast for for the unemployment rate of ten percent at the end of the year, right? Um, you know, keep in mind the worst number we had in the Great Recession was ten percent, right? So that that tells you we're, we're going to continue to have a lot of economic hardship, and I don't see us getting back uh, to pre-recessionary levels of output in manufacturing until at least 2022, uh, and maybe longer than that. Obviously, you've had CBO saying, <laughs> saying it could take a decade, but, but uh, that's for the overall larger economy. But I, I, I continue to think that yes, we're going to bounce out of it. I think part of why we're in this recession is unique, because we're trying to flatten the curve and make people stay at home and close businesses or limited businesses. Uh, and once those businesses start coming back online and people start going back out again, you will see the economy bounce back, uh, but the economic damage is clearly done, and I, I think that that's, that's I think uh, really what, what's going to drive much of the economic conversation for the second half of the year.
1: Well, as importantly for manufacturing, uh, what is your general take on the short-term path for the global economy? Well, I think it's
0: important to note – that. This, I guess I'll, I'll start with the U.S. I mean, I, I, between February and May, and I see the, the overall – actually, what we've already got industrial production for, for February to April, and that, that declined about 18.5% uh, if you're looking at overall output in the manufacturing sector. We could see that fall a little bit further in May, but I, I, I think that the, the bulk of the damage is already done. I uh, actually, in my view, think that we've already passed the trough and, and we're starting to move in the right direction. Uh, but I still have this declining 6 to 8% in terms of manufacturing production this year for the U.S., right? So, yes, uh, we, 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 the worst is past us, but I also think, as I noted with overall GDP numbers, I think we're going to continue to see some pain uh, throughout the rest of the year as well. I think the global economy looks very much the same as well. If you're looking at a lot of the PMI numbers that are out there, the Purchasing Managers Index for almost every market we sell into uh, – I think 8 of the 10 in the month of May actually had better PMI numbers. If you're looking at the top 10 markets we sell to, had better PMI numbers in May than they had in April. So I also think that we've the worst has passed us in terms of many of the global manufacturing markets that we sell into, but they also were still contracting pretty, pretty strongly. Right? So I think the U.S. and the global environment are very similar in that way, And that, yes, we're going to start seeing a rebound, much like the U.S., more of a checkmark type of recovery. But uh, a lot of pain will still be out there. And, and again, it's, it's a pretty dramatic turnaround from where we were in January or February of this year where you were starting to see a lot of stabilization in the manufacturing sector, uh, certainly post some of the trade deals that were we'll cut um, at the end of last year and, and, and in January.
1: Now, with with – that um, domestic and global um, picture in mind, I'm going to ask you now to give us a basic overview of the the top-line results from the latest NAM survey.
0: So I more or less foreshadowed this a little bit uh, in my introductory remarks about the survey, but uh, two years ago, June of 2018, we had an all-time high of uh, 95.1% of our members were positive about their company's outlook. And that stayed relatively elevated until the first quarter of last year, so the first quarter of 2019. And then last year was really marked by the whole trade war and slowing global growth conversation. So you saw really the beginning of declining growth in manufacturing last year during that whole trade discussion. And and while things started stabilizing earlier this year, uh, still a lot weaker than where we were, say, you know, even even a year before that – So we had 75.6% of our members who were positive in the first quarter survey. That fell in this survey to 33.9%. So only about a third of our members were positive about their own company's outlook in this survey. That was the worst number since the first quarter of 2009. Uh, And by far the the most pessimistic group uh, were the large members, right, those larger manufacturers that had at least 500 employees or more. Uh, we also had, when you're looking at the overall uh, expected growth rates, declines uh, expected declines that were modest across the board, uh, sales sales were expected to decline roughly 4%, exports 1.4%, uh, capital investment down 2.5%, employment down 2.2%. 2. 2. Again, many of those numbers are also the worst since the Great Recession. In some cases, I added some of those questions when I came on board in 2011, and so they were the worst really since, those, those questions were added. Um, but again, large numbers down across the board. Uh, the number one concern uh, amongst our members, uh, again, not shocking given the recession and given the whole conversation about COVID, uh, was weaker domestic economic growth, basically, weaker sales. 83% of our members said that. Um, keep in mind, the, the number one issue for the last 10 quarters in the survey was workforce, again, really highlighting just how much the labor force has changed since then. that fell to fourth place in our survey. Uh, and, and, uh, and and obviously, uh, you know, that, that's an issue that uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, perhaps. But uh, that's certainly one that has dominated the conversation, certainly at the NAM for a while, especially given that we were at 50-year lows for the unemployment rate as recently as February.
1: Well, let me jump to that. I mean, yes, it fell in terms of ranking, but – yeah, I, even now, if it, I th- I believe on this survey, forty-one percent of survey respondents cited attracting and retaining a quality workforce, quote unquote, as one of their biggest challenges. Now, given the the historic bleakness of the labor market, I mean, forty-one percent is not a small number, and it, no, you know, exactly. uh, given the historic bleakness of uh, of the labor market picture, numbers that none of us have ever seen before. Does that 41 percent, which is not small, does that surprise you in any way? Well, in some ways it does, and in some ways it doesn't. Um, you know,
0: we actually asked a specific question along these lines because you know, much of the conversation, you know, as I was traveling around the country pre-COVID-19, everywhere I went, and you you heard this, when you're talking to manufacturers as well. Everyone talks about the skills gap, right? And, and where are they going to find workers to fill these, fill these jobs? And so I actually put a special question on the survey saying, you know, once we get past the COVID-19 crisis, uh, do you still continue to expect uh, challenges in attracting and retaining workers um, over the next 12 to 18 months? Uh, and about half of our members said that they will, right? Again, going to your question, why is that? Uh, in my view, part of the challenge, and we've been talking about the skills gap for as long as I've been at the NAM, which has been nine years, um, it's structural in nature, right? Uh, keep in mind the average age of a, of a worker on many shop floors is well over 50, right? Uh, we did a study with the Sloan Foundation just last year looking at an aging workforce, and a lot of manufacturers were saying they didn't want their, their near-retirement-age workers to leave, right? Uh, and, and how were they utilizing those older workers and trying to keep them on, on the workforce, et cetera? And, and the simple answer is, you know, a lot of baby boomers are still going to retire, right? Demographics are still at play here, and there's a lot of worry out there about where is that next generation of worker going to come from. And so I think that that's why this issue is going to continue to resonate,
1: despite the fact that the labor market has changed dramatically since February. Interesting. Do you think that COVID may – you think that sort of a to that, that COVID may hasten, hasten the um, retirement of the older workforce and therefore you know, up the structural problem there?
0: I do, I do, I do think that uh, you know, I think that that there's going to be, you know, I suspect some some workers will say, hey, this is, this is just not for me anymore, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I, maybe it's just time for me to stay home. You might also see some attrition at some companies where that they they might encourage some attrition, whereas again they were trying to discourage that before, given the labor market dynamics. Uh, but again, if, if those older workers leave, or if some people are not there that were there before. There's always that issue of where, are those, where is that next worker going to come from, right? That gets to the whole attraction issue that we've really been facing for a while. Uh, prior to this interview, actually, I was doing a series. We're doing a study right now on retaining workers. What are companies doing to keep the workers that they have, right? So, you know, yes, we focus a lot on attraction, but we also know that it's expensive to replace workers as well. And so uh, those companies are still telling us just how important retention is and keeping the workers, especially in this time. Uh, those, those really talented and skilled workers from leaving the company. So, yes, I think COVID-19 will exacerbate this, especially if, as I would expect, manufacturing continues to become more lean during this process. Uh, but then again, that exacerbates the issue even further.
1: Now, out, outside of the structural human capital issue, on, on this run of the survey, um, you asked um, questions about the the impact of COVID. Uh, apart from the you know the structural um, uh, labor force issue, which we're we'll going to continue to talk about for a long time, what, what did you what did your questioning find? were the most pervasive impacts of the pandemic thus far uh, on manufacturers?
0: So I guess we'll we'll start with kind of the here and now, which is uh, you know certainly companies have limited business travel, I and mean, uh, in the survey itself. 86% of our members said that they had limited business travel, and I'm actually surprised that that's not 100%, uh, to be honest, with you, given that no one is traveling now, but, but that certainly shows the extent of that. Uh, 78% are, are uh, requiring you know, flexible work arrangements, about 60% who had disrupted supply chains. Um, half said that they had, uh, had, had unplanned production stops, uh, about 40% had some furloughs, 22% had pay cuts. So, you know, you're certainly seeing some, some very large impacts there disrupting the overall process uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, it's not in the survey, but a large issue that we had, uh, say, about a few weeks ago, certainly in the March timeframe, was whether manufacturers were essential or not. I'm sure you've talked about that on this show, right? As, as many states, when they issued these stay-at-home orders, uh, if if manufacturers were not deemed essential, they would have had to close shop. And so we really pushed hard at the NAM to have as many manufacturers as possible deemed essential, so they could continue operating. But that was a huge issue, again, mm-hmm. as, as recently as recently as March. And so that and even and even where they are operating, there's clearly our our supply chain disruptions and demand issues, which have even further limited uh, limited that. I think the other comment that I would make is is moving forward. Everyone is talking about what does the new normal look like, right? Um, Once companies start coming on board uh, and back online again, how are they going to operate? How are they going to operate differently than they were before? Uh, That new normal might look completely different than it did before. Um, We had about two-thirds of our members who said that they're they're going to uh, re-engineer their production process to have social distancing in mind. That's easier in some operations than others, right? Some operations are much more dense in terms of how they produce manufactured goods. So, uh, and where that's the case, they're going to see what they can do some, some re-engineering there. Yeah, but at about three quarters of our members who said that they were going to reevaluate what work could be done remotely. Again, that's an interesting number, given that in manufacturing, that's not always possible, right? Um, and so no. it's certainly easier for those of us who are more white-collar to do that. It's a little harder, I think, for for those on the, on the shop floor to do it. And, and you also had about 22% who said, they were going to be producing uh, PPE or some other product uh, that they didn't produce before COVID. So you have also had some manufacturers who have said, okay, maybe I can produce something different than I was beforehand.
1: Let's turn to the issue of technology now. Generally speaking, of course, the survey, um, the current survey reveals a a weak capital investment outlook. But I'm wondering if you can't, I think it may be interesting to break this down a bit admits the weak um, investment picture. Are there certain types of business equipment investments that are going to remain strong, or perhaps even get stronger?
0: Well, companies were pretty overwhelmingly
1: investing in
0: disruptive technologies before the crisis, right? So you had a lot of companies that were out there, you know, looking at five G, for instance, or they were investing in robotics or, or connected, connected technologies of some sort. And, and I think, you know, from my conversations with manufacturers, that isn't going to stop, right? Um, I, I've been speaking to some of the consulting firms especially that have continued working with their clients and they say those companies are, realize that, you know, when, on the other end of this crisis, at uh, the other end of this COVID-19 crisis, they still have to be competitive, right? Uh, and, and they want to make sure they come out of this crisis uh, uh, you know, in, in a good place there. And so uh, I think that those technologies are going to continue to be invested in. We continue to look at how does the workforce change as a result of some of those technologies. Uh, we're also doing a study now with a couple different universities on uh, AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and, and what we can learn uh, in terms of how manufacturers are using those technologies. And so I, I do think that, that, yes, we're going to see weaker capital spending this year just because of where we are in terms of the business cycle. Uh, but at the end of the day, companies still need to be competitive on the other end of this. Um, and so they're still investing in technologies that are going to make them competitive you know, for the foreseeable future. So it makes sense they can. And that includes R&D, but it also includes you know, robotics and a lot
1: of other things. Final question for Chad Motre. Ted, I mean, there's going to become a day when, uh, God willing, this is going to be behind us. We'll ha- we'll have a vaccine for COVID. the The threat, uh, at least mostly, will have abated. Uh, the economy will have recovered, and this will be this will be in our you know hi- this will be history for all of us. Even under those circumstances that we're all greatly looking forward to. Do you think there's going to be long-lasting impacts of this pandemic period on manufacturing?
0: I think that companies are going to be looking I, – I mentioned the comment about social distancing earlier or, right. or trying to, to re-engineer the production process. I think companies are going to be much more cognizant of that, um, seeing where, where – as they're moving forward with new facilities or new, new re-engineering the production process overall, where can they keep that distance in mind? where can they keep health? How can they keep their facilities as clean and healthy as possible? I think a lot of best practices are going to come out of this, this pandemic that are going to be long lasting in terms of how companies operate and and how manufacturers operate. Right. That's even true at the NAM. Right. I think, I think the way that our association operates is going to be different coming out of this than, than anything else. I think in terms of consumer behavior, I think there's going to be some pretty large changes as well. Right. Um, you have a lot of commercial real estate people who are very worried about the fact that many of us are working from home and might like working from home and <laughs> might not want to go back to the office, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and so you know, you've heard projections out there that we might need 20% less office space than we had before, right? So that, that really dramatically changes that market. Uh, and on the consumer side, yes, we're starting to go back to restaurants and bars and amusement parks, start flying again. But I think that there's going to be a hesitance there um, or or a change in attitude, especially here on the short term, that's going to make that process a little slower than we might prefer, right? Uh, People go out there, but they go out a little bit more tentative than they did before. Um, And I've also heard, and this is a trend that, you know, know, everyone was talking about how millennials were abandoning uh, packaged foods pre-COVID, and yet because everyone was buying stuff at home, you've seen this huge resurgence in Material, you know, foods, So I do think that there are some kind of preferential changes in terms of taste that might also kind of come out of this uh, that could benefit certainly in the case of food, those food processes.
1: Chad Motre, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise once again. Thank you for joining our show today.
0: Thanks for having me on,
1: Cliff. Listeners, um, as the world changes, as we continue to deal with massive uncertainty and a challenging set of crises, both on this show, manufacturing matters, and on my other show, Cliff Notes on the global manufacturing picture. Each episode is going to be devoted in the coming weeks and coming months to helping you to to guiding you through this historic difficult time where you really need to know what's going to happen next month, and think about what's going to happen next year. We'll be doing that with all our episodes. Until then, and until the next time, this is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters. And I'll see you next time.